a little bit. Now, today uh, is, is uh, tests of commitment. Tests of commitment. We're talking about managing life. We've been talking about managing our finances, managing our time, managing our talents and abilities. We're talking about managing life. And so we're talking today about making a commitment, making a commitment to God Almighty. Uh, To commit means to pledge or bind, whether it be a person or an organization, to a certain course, policy, or person. So to commit means more than just be casual about something. The difference in shacking up and being married is commitment. The difference in putting in eight hours to get a paycheck and being and excelling at work is commitment. The difference in overcoming an addiction or just going on with the flow and more of the same is commitment. The difference in being religious or being a disciple is commitment. And today, as we talk about commitment of time, talents, and treasures, I want to read uh, three different passages. First of all, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, you probably know it by memory, where Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And he says that is your reasonable service. In the light of what Christ has done for us, it is only reasonable that we would dedicate our lives as a living sacrifice. And then he says, be not conformed to this world. And we talked about being transformed a few weeks back. Remember over the several weeks series? But be you transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good an acceptable and perfect will of God. If you ever wonder what the will of God is, it is found in being transformed, being changed, being a new creature in Christ, and being transformed by the way that you actually think. God will then show you that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, the Christian race is not a 50-yard dash. The Christian race is long-term. It's way more than 26.1 miles. Uh, my son has been in a couple of those things, or a hundred and some miles, where they bike, swim, and uh, and run. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And and out here, uh, several probably nine or ten months ago, there was a car. And you know how everybody has these stickers, twenty six point one and a hundred point and whatever, whatever they are. I had to take a picture. I've still got the picture of it. It said zero point zero. That's my. <laughs> I'm looking for one of those decals. So. Uh, but, 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 you know, the Christian race is not a 50-yard dash, but neither is marriage. 47 and a half years, I am crazy in love with this lady, and more so than I was 47 and a half years ago. I'm pointing to my wife, if you're wondering, okay, <laughs> right down here, okay? Somebody was going like, who's he talking about? Uh, and, and neither is a career, neither is the church. And I want us to rethink, uh, I think a lot of times people are casual about the church, and casual about the relationship with Christ. It's like they understand the importance of career. They understand the importance of, uh, of a lot of other things. But somehow the church is like, yeah, we'll go if we, you know, if oh, something else not going on, whatever. Commitment is the difference. Now, I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. He said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, which means uh, a, com- a, command, a command to be firmly established in the faith. Be steadfast and immovable. Are established, in other words, to any assault from temptation, circumstances, or persecution. That insanity of God, uh, obviously, to be faithful, to be steadfast, knowing it could cost you your life. Did you catch the part where you're privileged to be persecuted? Did you catch that part? It's a crazy uh, notion to many of us. Uh, but that's the way it was in the New Testament. They counted all joy 
when they were persecuted for the name of Christ. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. There's a fixedness, a condition of abounding in work for Christ, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I've got a, a message that some of you have heard that I preached a few years ago uh, on Finishing Strong based on a study that I made with uh, Steve Farrar book, Finishing Strong. And in that, he, he makes the suppos- or the, he, he gives the, uh, the uh, theory that one in ten Christians who make professions wind up really serving Christ faithfully at the end of their life, one in ten. And I first read that, and I was aghast at that. I thought, that can't be right. Uh, and, and coincidentally, or, you know, I don't believe there's any coincidences. God kind of works things out. I took out one of my older Bibles, and, and I noticed there's a bookmark. I'd used a cardstock that I'd written down uh, 30 different names of people that I was praying for who had made professions, who were, who were serving God at that point in time. And it had been like, I can't remember how many years ago, maybe 20, 25, 30 years ago at this point. And, and I began adding up the ones I knew about, and there were three out of those 30 that were still faithfully serving God. One in 10. What is the difference? It is commitment. What happens? Life happens. Why do people drop out? Life, circumstances, problems, temptations, moral failure, persecution, all kinds of reasons. When Cortez landed in North America, you know exactly, do you know what he did when he got his troops off the boats? Do you know what he did? He burned them. He burned the ships. There was no going back. Now you either go forward or you die right here. So uh, that's commitment. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know what? There's nothing back there. There's nothing back there good for the child of God. Let's get a hold of the plow. Let's go forward. Our Lord's plan and purpose is to produce faithful men and women and children of God who can keep on believing and keep on trusting God no matter what. The faith of Job, I know Job had a little problem at the end of the book, but I want to tell you, my, one of my favorite verses is, Lord, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. Though you slay me. If you kill me, God... I'm still going to trust you. Do you have that kind of faith? Are you that committed to God that no matter what happens, if your health fails, if the doctor says you have cancer, if you lose your job, if your family falls apart, if if people persecute you, do you have the kind of faith that says, I'm going to keep on believing and trusting God no matter what? Well, I wrote down several tests here. This is not all of them, but this is some that I thought of. First of all, the time test. And this is the definition. What he promised us hasn't happened yet. You got any of those kind of things in your life? What God promised hasn't happened yet. I've been praying for it. Sometimes you say, I've been praying for months. I've been praying for weeks. I've been praying for years, and it hasn't happened yet. Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 3, knowing this first, that this shall come in the last days, scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? He promised he would come back. He promised he would return. Has it happened? Where's the promise of his coming? For since the father fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So this time test tests our patience. I used to have a a little prayer thing, a little prayer written down. It says, God, give me patience and give it to me right now. (laughs) 
That's not how it happens, folks. That's not how. We've got to trust God to fulfill his promise in his own time. And it may not be according to our time schedule. It may not be according to our calendar. But God is God. We're not. And we've got to get that figured out. So what's the purpose of a time test? It, several, probably. It gives us an opportunity to grow. It gives us an opportunity to grow in Christ, to get more steadfast, more immovable, more abounding in the work of the Lord. It secondly purifies our motives and attitudes. Do you know you can want to do the right thing for the wrong reason? You can want to do the right thing for the wrong reason, so it helps us to figure out what the right reasons are and do the right things for the right reasons. Thirdly, it shows us our own works are never sufficient, and we have to depend upon God. What we need is God working in our lives and working the way he wants to do work and doing what he wants to do when he wants to do it. So what's an example in the Word of God of the time test? best one probably is Abraham. In Abraham, Genesis chapters 12 through 18, Abraham was 75 years old when God said, I want you to pick up and go to a new country. How many of you can even imagine if you're 75 already or if you're, when you, you anticipate being 75, all of a sudden picking up and moving to a whole new place where you don't know anybody, where you don't have any, I mean, family's not there except for who you're going to take with you? Can you imagine that? And he was 75 years old, told to leave uh, Haran to travel to Canaan, and, and he did that. He was obedient, and he brought his servant Eliezer with him, whom he thought was going to be the heir to all that he had in Genesis chapter 15. Abraham initially, even though God promised him he would have an heir, he initially failed that because he had a child with Hagar. That was not God's plan. Genesis chapter 16. He was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. He had to wait uh, finally till he was 100 years old to have Isaac, the son of promise, of Genesis chapter 17 and 18. 100 years old. Guys, how'd you like to have a baby when you're 100 years old? I think, what was Sarah, 85? 90. 90 years. How'd you like, ladies? It doesn't even go there. Okay. The test of time. But you know what? God blessed, and God blessed through Isaac. God gave Abraham, the son of promise, Isaac in his old age, and God blessed him that way. So real commitment to a marriage, real commitment to a career, real commitment to a diet. I'm going to move on. Real commitment to the Lord will all pass the test of time. You know what? So if only... If only one out of 10 people are faithful. And, and if we have 120 people here this morning, 20 years from now, it doesn't mean there are only 12 who are still serving the Lord. Let's let the unfaithful people be somewhere else. Let's have 120 people here 20 years from now are still committed to Almighty God, to His Word, and to serving Him. Pass the test of time. Second is the word test. And what am I talking about with the word test? Circumstances can arise in our lives that make us think, well, that promise is impossible. There's no way it's going to come to pass. I've heard it called the death of a vision. You've heard those terminologies? Death of a vision. Uh, but it, God has not forgotten his promises to us. Ours is to stay faithful and obedient to God, and, and, evident, and, and eventually, rather, we will see God's plan and wisdom. Now, why in the world would God... 
make us come to a point where we can't see how it's possible for something to work out so that we reject our own resources and depend solely upon the Lord. What's the biblical illustration there? Joseph. Joseph, in Genesis chapter 37 through 45, almost through the end of the book, actually through the end of the book, at 17 years of age approximately, Joseph received two visions from the Lord. One of them were where all the stalks of grain that were harvested bowed down to his stalk of grain. All of his brothers bowed down to him. And, and he, was, he shared that vision with them, and they were not that impressed with that vision, to tell you the truth. They didn't like it. And then later on, the sun, the moon, the stars all bowed down to him. And uh, he told them about that. They didn't like that. His dad even questioned that. What are you talking about? We're going to bow down to you? His brothers became jealous and hatched a plan to kill him. They were going to kill him. They put him in a pit. And then they saw a caravan going by. You know the story. Going to Egypt. And it was a slave caravan, and so they sold their brother to uh, these people going by, and he went to Egypt, death of vision. His dream of, of somehow ruling and, and God's plan, God revealing to him that, that, that his brothers would bow down to him, even his father and mother would bow down to him, it, it's died now because he's a slave. He's not a prince any longer. He's certainly not going to be some kind of a mighty ruler as a slave, so death of a vision, it's over in Genesis 37, 25 through 36. And then he, he he's, goes to Potiphar's household. Potiphar buys him, and he gets, uh, he's so successful. Everything he touches turns to gold, so to speak. And so Potiphar puts him in charge of everything and withheld only his wife from him. And his wife had designs upon Joseph. You know the story. And he left, was falsely accused, and then thrown in prison. Double death of a vision. Not only is he a slave, now he's... He's a prisoner. He's a criminal. There's no way any good thing is going to happen. There's no way the plan of God is going to work in his life, right? Only in jail he becomes a trustee. Everybody, he's kind of the jailer trusts him to take care of things and kind of run some things in the jail. So so the the butler and the the cupbearer, or the baker rather, come uh, thrown in jail and, and, and he interprets their dreams for them. You know the story. And he says to the to the uh, butler who was going to live and the baker's going to die, he said to the butler, tell, tell Pharaoh about me when you, when you get back into the, Pharaoh's home. Tell him about me. I'm, I, I shouldn't be here. I'm falsely accused. Two more years. The butler forgot to tell Pharaoh. Triple death, maybe, of a vision. Triple death. No way it's going to happen. But listen to this. Do you ever, did you ever connect Psalm 105 with Genesis 37? God had a plan all along. Here's what it says. Then he sent, God, sent someone to Egypt ahead of them. Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. Listen to this, verse 19. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. He tested his character, I guess so, from a prince to a slave, from a slave to a common criminal, from a common criminal to second command of the nation of Egypt. 
Joseph's wait was approximately 14 years. And during those 14 years, it seemed impossible that God was going to do what he had promised to Joseph that he was going to do. And he developed character, and he, he kept his character, I should say, and developed it. He, he developed wisdom. He did, developed humility. And when he was put in that position, guess what happened? His brothers came, didn't recognize him, and they bowed down to him just like his vision said they would. Mother and father came later, the whole family. God worked his plan. Death of a vision doesn't stop God. Double death of a vision doesn't stop God. Triple death of a vision doesn't stop God. Don't give up. Even when it seems impossible, God specializes in impossible things. So real commitment will never give up on God's vision. Thirdly, the character test. I sent out a thing on Facebook this morning. Temptation Nation, kind of a play on Raider Nation, but Temptation Nation, uh, it wasn't my idea. It was a, a, um, a devotion that I read, but we're surrounded. We are surrounded with all manner of ungodliness, with all matter of lustfulness, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, television, movies, novels, uh, I mean, educational system, uh, we are surrounded with public educational system. We are surrounded with, with things that try to pull us in every possible direction, testing your character. And you guys and gals that are deployed for six, seven, eight, nine months at a time, it, there's a special temptation there because you're away from family, you're away from church, you're away from those who would naturally kind of put the brakes on certain activities and certain things, and you are tempted and you are tested, and I know that you are, but God wants your character to be just as pure when you're out on the, out on the seas halfway around the world as it is when you're right here sitting in First Baptist Church in one of these chairs. He wants your character to be the same. He wants your testimony to be the same. And we'll be tested, we'll be tried. And, and the purpose is to show us our own weaknesses so that we don't get too proud and lifted up in ourselves and, and then to, to turn to God and, and, to, and to shine in a very dark world. Yesterday I spoke with a, a man who used to install uh, heating and air conditioning units for businesses. He was a salesman. And so he said he went to this particular place of business where they were going to contract with a new unit, and, and he had to go up on the roof. And so in order to have access to the roof, he took one of the security guys from the building with him. So they went up on top of the roof, and he was checking out the, the uh, heating, air conditioning system up there. And he noticed one of the panel doors on the side of the unit was open, kind of ajar. And so they, he went over to check it out, see what was going on. And when he took it off, they found uh, $38,000 in cash. They found a quantity of cocaine, and they found some handguns. And his words to me was, I had to be there with the most honest security guard I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> and people who are in law enforcement, special temptations to you when you come across quantities of money. Unknown quantities exactly until it's all counted and how easy it would be maybe to pick up part of that. How, how, how easily you could rationalize and, 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 and make it sound like maybe it's not so big a deal. This is bad money. This is drug money. How so what? If they're mis- I, I could use it for the, for the glory of God and for good. Temptation to do evil, to do wrong. It's everywhere. Biblical example of that, Samuel. 
In 1 Samuel chapter two, chapters 2 and 3, Samuel was known as the son of godly parents. He was asked for, his name means asked of God. He was the last of the judges, the first of the prophets. And he was born into one of the most corrupt times of Israel's history. Eli, the high priest, had grown physically and spiritually dull and inattentive, and he wouldn't discipline his sons. And his sons were in the priesthood, and they were extorting the people, and they were being immoral with the people right outside the gates of the tabernacle itself. And in the middle of all that, Samuel sought and found the Lord, and he worshiped and kept himself from sin. Another example, of course, would be Jesus, who was without food for 40 days and 40 nights and was tempted just to turn stones into biscuits. What could that hurt? Surely you're hungry, Lord. It's not like I'm asking you to rob a bank. It's not like I'm asking you to kill someone. Just, just command those, those stones be bread so you can eat because you've, you've earned that. Does, it, does some of this sound familiar? The devil talking to us? Samuel made a commitment to God, and he stuck to that commitment. Real commitment continues even in evil surroundings. Number four, and I've got to hurry. The motivation test. This is an examination of what influences our decision-making processes. How do we make decisions? How do we process this? How do we, like, like Matt and, and, and his wife and family, how do they decide we're going to go to Thailand? How does someone else decide uh, we're going to move? How do we do this? Our intentions, thoughts, values, and priorities become real obvious in all of that. And, and these tests of our motivation come to show and to purify our inner drives because we don't always do things for the right motives. And his desires to shape our motives. Biblical illustration was Balaam. I don't know how much, there's not a whole lot to know except that probably he was one of the greatest prophets ever. Balaam was one of the greatest prophets ever, one of the greatest preachers ever, great revivals, well-known, Numbers 22 through 24. But he saw that, Balak saw that Israel was defeating their enemies and he offered money to Balaam, the the prophet, if he would pronounce a curse on Israel. He couldn't do it. He couldn't even go with them. They brought money and, and awards for him, and he said, no, I can't do it. He sought the Lord, and the Lord said, no, don't do it. And then Balak tries again to get Balaam to come. He sends more prestigious ambassadors. He sends more of a money reward. And this time, uh, God allows Balaam to go, but only if, if he speaks the Lord's words. And one of my favorite parts of all this is the donkey. It, I don't know why. It just tickles me. That, you know, they're, they're, that Balaam's riding along on his donkey, and the donkey sees this angel of death before him. If he goes there, then Balaam's going to be killed, and maybe the donkey's going to be killed. So he, he, he just he sets down, and he runs up against the wall, and he does all this stuff, and, and Balaam starts beating him and, and yelling, and the donkey says, hey, why are you doing that? And, and instead of going, <gasps> Balaam goes, because, you know, you, I, I need to go. I mean, he just starts talking to this donkey just cracks me up every time I read it. Have you ever talked to a donkey? <laughs> I've talked to mules. They didn't talk back. If they did, I'd have been worried. But it didn't bother him. So he's talking to the donkey here. 
And he goes ahead, and he's warned, don't say anything other than what God tells you to say. But evidently, he sold out because in, in, in uh, Numbers 22, verses 7, 15, and, and 17, and 2 Peter 2, 15, and Jude 11, woe unto them, they have gone in the way of Cain and run greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward. That was their motivation, reward. That was more increase, more money, more prestige, more influence, more power, real commitment will endure if our motives are pure. Next to last, the servant test. In this test, a a person is asked to do a menial task, something that might seem beneath their calling. (laughs) You know what? There are no menial tasks below the calling of a true servant of God. You know what would be a good ministry to have around here? And I'm, I'm, I'm half serious about this. Cleaning toilets. That would be a great ministry to have here. Because if we feel like we're too good to clean toilets, well, we've got a problem. We didn't, it, it will clarify whether we're here to be served or to serve. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, to seek and to serve. He didn't come to be served. And, of course, he's the greatest example because he got down with a basin of water and began to wash the disciples' feet. And you know that story. But here, uh, Elisha, I'm referring to him. Here he is plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. 12 yoke. I, I saw a picture of a guy. How many horses was that? Or mule? Yeah, horses. He was Five horses he was plowing behind. He was sitting on a plow, had five horses hitched up in a team. But here, 12 yoke of oxen. Imagine the dust. Imagine the fragrance. You who are from the farms understand that. Imagine the view, okay? (laughs) I mean, really. Was this a proper place for a future prophet of God? Or what about David? While Samuel is is coming to anoint a future king of Israel, and David's going to be that future king, he's out watching the sheep while all of his brothers are saying, man, I hope it's me, I hope it's me, I hope it's me. What about Elisha? 2 Kings 3.11, Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Did you catch that? What did Elisha do? He poured water on the hands of Elijah. He was a servant. He only, he only performed twice as many miracles as Elijah. Do you know that? Elisha, twice as many. He prayed for a double portion. He did twice as many miracles. But he was known for pouring hands on the, for pouring water on the hands of the prophet Elijah. Not for pouring hands, but for pouring water. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Real commitment results in serving others. Last point is this, the wilderness test. You know what? Everybody here is going to identify with this, I think, because sometimes God leads us or drives us to a place materially or spiritually that's dry and desolate. And during those times, there appears to be no real discernible fruit in our lives. If you've been saved very long, I think maybe you know what I mean. At least I sure know what that means. Let me give you an example. John the Baptist, 
Jesus said these words about John the Baptist. He said, of man born of woman, there is none greater than John the Baptist. Well, as far as I know, every man has been born of woman except for Adam. He said, of the ones I know, he said, of, of all the men who've ever been born of woman, the greatest is John the Baptist. And yet, listen to what John the Baptist said. The greatest man ever born of woman in Matthew eleven three. Are you the coming one or do we look for another? He was in prison. He was forsaken. He was persecuted. His ministry seemed over. He was the one the crowds came to in the wilderness. He was the one that baptized hundreds, if not thousands of people. He's the one that everyone was looking to. He was the forerunner of Christ. And now he was cut off from all of that, sitting in a dungeon, alive but just barely. What purpose possibly could God have in putting us in a wilderness place? Because we learn that even in wilderness places, God can feed us there. Elijah, in 1 Kings 17, was told in, in, in the drought, go to the desert, I will feed you there. And there was a little brook, Sherith, and that water trickled down through that brook. He was able to get nourishment and water from that, and the ravens fed him. God led the ravens to feed Elijah in the desert place. And I got to tell you, I don't believe they were bringing him Big Macs and fries, and chocolate shakes. I believe they were bringing him things that kind of died and things that were just wiggling around. And I mean, they brought him whatever they, I mean, the ravens brought him the food, folks. But he, the point is that Elisha survived in the desert, and he was fed, and he had water to drink because he obeyed God. And the Bible specifically says in King James Version that God fed him there. God fed him there. What if he'd been somewhere else? than where God said to be. Moses is another example. Forty years elapsed between Moses living in the palace and his call to deliver the nation of Israel. That's a long time. And he was in a desert place, but then he saw this bush that was burning and yet not consumed, and God still had a plan for his life. So my question to you this morning is, are you in the wilderness spiritually? Are you in a wilderness materially? Are you in a wilderness mentally? Do you think that God has forgotten you? Do you think he's forgotten where you live? Used to on radios, some of you remember this, they used to have two places on the dial, civil defense deals. And, and they would come across the broadcast radio stations, WLS in Chicago. They would come across, yeah, they'd come across and say, this is a test. This is only a test. If this had been an actual emergency, you would turn to the civil defense location on your dial, whatever. Wilderness times for Christians are tests. They're only tests. They only become an emergency if we don't remain strong in our commitment. So real commitment remains constant in season and out of season. So here we have six tests. Tests of time, word, character, motivation, servanthood, and wilderness. My question to you is, are you committed to the Lord regardless of these things? Will you go forward regardless of these things? Will you commit? Are you too impatient to Wait upon him? Are you too faithless to endure the death of a vision? Are you too weak 
to maintain good character, too worldly, to have proper motivation, too good to be a servant, do you think, to do menial tasks? Are you on the backside of the desert, too spiritually dry to produce fruit for him? What is your next step for the Lord? And here's what we're going to do for invitation, kind of different today, a lot different today. Inside your bulletin is one of these. Nothing fancy, but it could determine the course of your next year. Very important commitment that I'm asking you to make. So if you would take it out, and it says simply this, Managing Life, First Baptist Church of Coronado. I, we want to be good managers of every aspect of our lives for 2017. Realizing that desire alone is not enough, we therefore want to commit to do the following for the coming year. And I'm asking that we commit for our time, reading God's Word daily. There are so many helps out there, so many plans. There is no excuse for not being in the Word of God every single day, letting God speak to you. Praying daily, speaking to God. Attending church on Sundays, unless providentially hindered, which by definition means you're dead. (laughs) Or out of town, or deployed. Okay, I got it. Yeah, okay. And, and here's the really important, I want to take the next step. What is your next step? Have you received Christ as your personal Savior? Because if you haven't, he doesn't want anything from you but your sins. He wants you to give yourself to him so that he can cleanse you and wash you and make you whole and, and white as snow, forgiven, and on your way to heaven. And if you need to be saved, then you check that box. I want to be baptized. If you have been saved but never have been baptized, we got some folks here who need to be baptized. This thing right here is a baptistry. We haven't cranked it up for a couple of months, a few months now. We need to. So if you have been saved but not baptized and you want to be baptized, then check that. Third thing is I want to join the church. We're having a new members class right after this service. If you ever stick around, we'll, we'll even give you lunch. And then it'll be about an hour and a half or so. Uh, and you could be a member of... First Baptist Church, if you would like to, if you want to do that, check that and stick around. Commit your time. Commit your talents to the ministry. We need a children's ministry helper or teacher. We need those involved in the children. We actually need someone to lead that right now. So if you're interested at all in managing the children's ministry, which means you would schedule workers, and our goal is to have a different team of workers like the VIP ministry, once a month so it's not the same people in there all the time and and so that you don't miss the communion you know not everybody on the first week are the same people uh someone just to coordinate that we need that desperately and and so if you're interested in that i I want you to write that down on the card because i didn't clarify that enough Uh, i've got helper or teacher You, you can be a teacher once a month you can be a helper once a month but the ministry leader we really desperately need a nursery volunteer We'd love to have that sound computer booth, volunteer. We had several people come out uh, eight or nine, ten months ago, and and some of them have moved off now. We need a new uh, group of people. We're thankful for the ones we have. Praise team, music ministry, I am so blown away by how God has blessed us with that. Uh, and, And if you're interested, let us know. Maintenance help, let us know. Hospitality, VIP, if you'd like to be on that, uh, then that meeting next week is for you. And then I want to commit our treasure. I will begin giving offerings systematically. I will begin tithing. Remember the 90-day challenge, okay? 10% 
you try it 90 days, if it doesn't work, we'll refund your money. No questions asked. I will be giving, begin giving more than 10%. If you're a tither, maybe you want to increase that a little bit. I will begin giving to missions above the tithe so that we can take on families like the Moads as they go obedient to the Lord. On the back, just some verses and then a place for you to sign. Now, here's what I want you to do. We're going to have a word of prayer. And, and if you need one, yeah, my wife's got some. If you didn't get one, raise your hand. She'll bring it to you. Just hold your hand up real high. If you didn't get one, hold it up real high. Keep it up for just a moment, and uh, we'll pass these out as quickly as she can get to you. Right down here in the front, Pat. All right, anybody else? Everybody's got one. Otherwise, they're inside the bulletins. You say, well, preacher, aren't you afraid you're going to run people off? You know what? Commitment is so important, I'm willing to take the chance. Willing to risk it. God will use committed church family. So I'm going to ask you, let's pray right now that God would help you to know exactly what God wants each one of us to do. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful and thankful for the opportunity of serving you. We're so thankful that you've given so much for us. Lord, you've been more than committed to us. You've loved us so much. You gave your only begotten son that whosoever believes in you should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus, you gave your blood, your body, broken for us, bleeding for us. We're so grateful for that. Holy Spirit, you give us the opportunity by drawing us unto yourself. And so we're thankful for that. And I pray, Lord, that you would help everyone here. Help us to have our goal realized that every member a minister, every member a part of the body of Christ functioning in the way you've created us to function. Father, bless this church. Lord, make it mighty. Make the light from this lighthouse shine so brightly in Coronado. May every person here know this church is here. May lost people come because they're drawn here and invited by the members here. May we be faithful and experience your blessings as we commit our time and talents and treasures to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to fill the card out and bring it down here. I'm going to fill my card out and put it on this little table right here. I'm going to have you actually come forward and do that. And if you're not sure you're saved, you're not 100% certain if you died, you'd go to heaven, I want you to come talk to me or Fitz or my wife or Rachel. We'll make sure of that before you leave. We'll, we'll show you what you need to do to know for sure your sins are forgiven. Everything else, I think, is pretty well spelled out here. If there's something else we can help you with, you come ahead as well. But let's go ahead and stand together as our praise team leads us in a song. You fill your commitment card out. And bring it up here in just a few moments. We're going to have baby dedication.
so much. Thank you. you. May be seated. Isn't this exciting? God bless you guys. I'll tell you what. God bless your commitment. You know what? If we just kind of float along, nothing happens. But when we really get committed, God can do something. God can do something amazing. So thank you all. And you know what? If you weren't prepared today, but you're, you're still thinking about it, praying about it, um, you know what? Tomorrow's not too late. Next Sunday's not too late. Bring your card if you want to or whatever, but just commit to the Lord and follow through with that commitment. We have some babies that are going to be dedicated to the Lord. I'm going to ask them to come up here right now, if they would. Oh, and their moms and dads can come too. Come on over this way. Isn't this a good group, huh? All right. What I'm going to do is put you moms and dads on the spot, and I'm going to ask you to tell us your names and the name of your little ones. So we'll start right here. Hello, my name is Tiffany DeFleepies, and this is Capri Loren DeFleepy. And when was she born? She was born January 9th, so tomorrow she'll be three weeks. Look at her. She's just looking around. All right, good deal. Who do we have here? Uh, we got my my daughter Sarah, and my son Dean, and my wife Catherine. My name's Kyle, everyone. God bless you guys. Gonna be a preacher. Gonna be a preacher. I'm telling you right now. I can feel it in my bones. Uh, Steve and Brenda Borden. This is Julian and uh, baby Alex. And when were they born? Uh, Julian, two and a half years ago, I was to play at the last baby dedication, so we missed that one. And then uh, Allie was born back in September. Back in September. Amen. All right. Who do we have here? We're uh, Nick and Victoria Bobo, and this is Emmeline Joy. Emmeline Joy. And how old is Emmeline? Um, she was born on November 21st, so two months old. Two months old. Two months old. All right.
rather, brought her baby to the Lord that was asked of God and dedicated him to the Lord. So we're going to do that. And then we have a certificate that we're going to have filled out with everyone's names on it. I think I have those up here. And we've got special Bibles that we're going to give. And so Mrs. Bayes is going to take care of giving those out right now. All right? And these are first Bibles. Maybe the first Bible. It may be the second at this point. But this will be one that they can actually open up. It's got the, the laminated pages that are real thick. So when they get old enough, they can start looking into the Word of God. All right. We got boy Bibles and girl Bibles. Blue and pink. All right. The Bibles are cool and our prayers for these. Now, you know what? We all need to be praying for these babies and for these parents. The world would love nothing more than to destroy your children. And it's, it's, the world is an enemy to Christian families. So uh, we're going to need God's help in doing what needs to be done and raising these children the way that God wants them raised. So let's all pray for them. You pray as I pray right now. Father, for each one of these parents, Lord, I pray a special wisdom for them. I pray, God, that you would lead them and guide them in all of their decisions, Lord, knowing that their decisions greatly influence and affect their children. I pray for every boy and every girl up here before me. God, who knows what spiritual giants may be up here? Who knows what great preachers and missionaries and teachers and husbands and wives uh, are before us today? I pray that each one of us who have an opportunity to put into their lives would do so in, in a good way. And that, Father, we would see great things accomplished in their lives. Father, we ask you to bless and to guide them and help them to make life's decisions based upon uh, your will for them. Father, protect them and bless them, and we dedicate them in your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Let's give them a hand. All right, what a great time. What a great day that is. Thank you so much. All right, and we will have the certificates for you uh, after church. Miss Donna's going to take care of Filling those out for us, and I think you have the list right there. All right. All right, let's stand together. It's been good to be in the house of the Lord. Now, here's what we're going to do in about 10 minutes. We're going to start our new members class right down here, and then we're, the lunch will be here, and we'll break for lunch. Uh, everybody who's going to stay for that, and uh, kids will also uh, have child care, and they'll be taken care of. So let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity of being in your house today. We thank you, Lord, for our missionary family. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the commitments made today. God, help us. Lord, it's easy to say we're going to make a commitment. It's tougher to actually follow through. So help us even when the tests come that we're faithful to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Greet those alongside of you. Thank you for being in God's house today.